So welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here tonight. Good to see everybody. 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 Yes. Yes. So we're going to start in prayer. So let's uh, ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for a time, place to meet. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We ask that uh, you would lead us, guide us. Pray, Father, you assist us uh, to receive all that you have to say tonight that we'd have open minds and hearts and willing and ready uh, spirit to receive what you want to speak to us and even how you want to challenge us tonight. So we ask you, God, that uh, you would move in this place. We ask that you would speak. We ask God we'd have ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, open an open heaven uh, in the sense, and I'll give you the sense of what I want to talk about as we go, but uh, the term open heaven has been used in a lot of different ways uh, recently, uh, in the last, say, 10 years, 15 years or so, uh, involved with the, uh, I guess, a few different movements that have been going on within Christian circles, uh, prophetic movement in a lot of ways and any whatever they call that now I have no idea but uh, the company of prophets and the people that uh, operate within uh, prophetic circles have talked a lot about uh, the idea of an open heaven and the idea that they're talking about is is really uh, a place of revelation a place where uh, God and man meet together and we see things that we hadn't seen before. We experience things that we haven't experienced before. Uh, God reaches into our reality in really supernatural ways and does things that only He can do. Uh, you see that through various manifestations that God brings sometimes. There was a period of time where uh, churches were experiencing uh, gold flakes. Uh, did anybody ever hear of this? Yeah, in, in different places where there would it would like rain gold during worship and during different times during the service and these little itty bitty flakes would just be in the air uh, to the point that I remember seeing they would sweep up after the services and they'd sweep up like these big piles of gold flakes after the service that would descend while they were a meeting and uh, in different manifestations like blowing winds in the middle of buildings uh, it's just different things, a fog, a cloud that comes. I've heard of uh, various manifestations of the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud or whatever you want to call that, appearing in meetings, things like that. Uh, so there, there's all kinds of ways that God manifests himself. Now here we've experienced the physical manifestations. People have uh, manifested in the, under the power of the Holy Spirit in different ways, uh, through laughter, or through crying, or through shouting, or being uh, laid out, slain in the Spirit. Uh, just all kinds of different ways that God shows Himself. But it's at those meeting points, at those intersections, that we get this idea of, and, and, and really expanding on those kind of intersections, this idea of what it means to have or what, or an understanding of an open heaven. In the Bible, you see the term used a number of times uh, where uh, different, different people will look at some of those times where different people experience God 
in some unique ways. You see, uh, for example, Ezekiel, when he had his experience with God, and uh, anybody remember anything about Ezekiel or anything about Ezekiel? The wheel in the sky. Yeah, he had that manifestation. No, that's journey. Yeah, uh, but but he had it. But that that's the idea behind it: seeing angels and experiencing that. Uh, you, you see other people when Stephen was being stoned. He was the first Christian martyr. The Bible talks about how he looked up right before he died and he saw heaven open and he could see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and, and it's a term that's just used there. Uh, we're going to look at, we're going to talk about a couple other spots where you see that. And where you see this idea of of an open heaven, of seeing angels descending and ascending, of seeing uh, just different manifestations of God, different places where God is moving and different things that He's doing. So we'll get started with, let's start with our verse tonight. We're going to start in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John 1, 51. That's where we're going to, we're going to jump off. In John 1, 51. Just don't jump the shark. Never. Anybody have John 1, 51? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Alright, so here's Jesus talking about Nathaniel. Or talking, excuse me, talking to Nathaniel about himself. And while he's speaking to Nathaniel, he tells him, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is what's going to happen. And, and notice the parts of it. You'll see heaven open, and you'll see angels ascending and descending, and ascending and descending, and ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what does that make you think of when he says that? What's he alluding to? What is he drawing Nathaniel's attention back to from the Old Testament. Jacob's lap. Yeah, Jacob. And so that's found in Genesis chapter 28. Now, pretty much, if you know the story of Jacob, it starts with Isaac, his father. Isaac was old, and he wanted to bless his oldest son Esau, if you know the story of this. And so he calls Esau over, and he, it was his firstborn. Uh, now, Esau and Jacob were twins. But Esau came out first. Followed closely by Jacob grabbing his ankle, trying to pull him back in to get out before him. Right, that's the story. But Esau was the firstborn. Uh, even though they were twins, he, did, he was the firstborn. And so Isaac wanted to bless him. And so he called Esau to him and he said, I want you to go out, I want you to hunt. Esau was a great hunter. He said, I want you to hunt some meat and then I want you to prepare me a meal and bring it to me. And when you bring it to me, then I'll give you my blessing. So Esau heads on out to the field to go hunting to get some meat and to start the process of getting the meat for his father, preparing it in, in order to get the blessing. But, what's the but in this? What's going on behind the scenes here? 
his brother, but more his mother. All right, Rebecca. Rebecca favored his brother Jacob. Like I said, they were twins, and she, for whatever reason, favored Jacob over Esau. And so she heard what was going on that Isaac was about to give Esau the blessing, the firstborn blessing, and that Esau had gone out to hunt, so she came up with a plan. She devised a scheme in order to deceive Isaac. And thereby, Jacob could steal the blessing from Esau. This is what's happening. So the plan worked. I won't get into all the details of the plan, but basically Jacob posed as Esau. He had made him a soup, not with game from the field, but had made the soup with lentils and other things in it, prepared a savory soup for him, and a stew or whatever it was, and had received the blessing. Well, it worked, but Esau was furious when he found out. He came back. He said, okay, give me the blessing. He's like, I already gave the blessing. Furious, furious. He knew that, that Jacob had stolen the blessing. And so Jacob fled for his life from Esau. He ran away. Uh, in, I guess you could say he went to a country. He went back to the homeland. He fled away. That's where he was heading. And you could say, quote-unquote, to find a wife or whatever you want to say. But the reality of the situation was he was running for his life. And he was scared. And so in the reality of the situation, you have Jacob avoiding trouble. I mean, by getting away from his brother. He was surrounded by uncertainty. He didn't know really where he was going, what was going to happen. He didn't know what was waiting for him there. He knew sort of what was waiting for him at home, but he knows his brother's furious at him. There's conflict. He's in the midst of conflict. Passion, guilt. This was an emotional state. You can imagine the emotional state. I mean, we look at Jacob as being the deceiver. He's the one that stole the blessing, but he's also the one running for his life, too. And so, putting ourselves in that position, there must have been a certain amount of Conflict. There should have been. There probably was some kind of emotional turmoil that was going on with him, right? I mean, he's running for his life to a place he's never been before. And I would imagine there's probably some guilt. I mean, he did lie. He did cheat. I mean, he got the blessing, but at what cost? Well, relationship with his brother. He's not going to see his mother, his father. He's gone. So he's out in the wilderness on the way back to the homeland. He stopped to camp, and the Bible says that he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a stairway, or a ladder, whatever, however you want to interpret that, a stairway leading up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. So this was the open heaven idea that heavens were opened in this dream and you could see angels going back and forth up and down these stairs. And so the Bible says when he woke up, he named the place. Anybody remember what he named the place? 
he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. So he named it. So, that's the story from Genesis 28. So keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind a little bit. And what we're going to do is let's look at a couple other places where we see this idea of the open heaven. So Genesis 28.12, somebody want to read that? I'll give you a few verses here. Genesis 28.12. Somebody else, Ezekiel 1.1. 1, 1. And then somebody else, Matthew 3.16. So Genesis 28.12. Anybody? And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Alright, thanks. Ezekiel 1.1. 1, 1. Anybody have that? In my thirteenth year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Okay, so the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Then you can read some of his visions there. That's where the whole idea of that wheel that he saw, a wheel inside of a wheel and all these other. But there are other visions that Ezekiel also had as the heavens were opened. Alright, so Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Alright, so when Jesus was baptized is another example from the Scriptures of where it's described as the heavens were opened. Heaven was opened. Okay, Luke 3, 21. It's the same thing, but it's a different Gospel account. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you see a manifestation, when heaven was opened in that example, you see a manifestation of the Spirit of God, and then you also hear God speaking. You have a manifestation of His voice, of God speaking. With Ezekiel, he, saw, he just saw angels, and he saw all kinds of wonders, and he saw all these things that were going on. He had visions. Uh, Jacob was in a dream state when he saw those things. Okay, uh, Acts 7.56. Acts 7.56, and somebody asked Acts 10.11. So Acts 7.56, Acts 10.11. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Alright, who's that? Stephen. He's being stoned to death. And before he dies, he says, Look, I see heaven opened. And he gives a vision he saw of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the Bible says, and you can read right after that if you want to, uh, but it says that when the Pharisees heard that, when those that were stoning him heard that, they gnashed their teeth and they, and they, they rushed him to kill him to make sure he was dead. Does it say that somewhere, Don? Don, uh, yeah, it says they covered his ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yeah. So they covered their ears... 
ran at him and dragged him out to stone him. I mean, they just couldn't stand it. It drove him crazy that he said that. Could you hear that in the, the way it's described? Yeah. So he had a vision. He saw Jesus and standing at the right hand of the Father. Okay, Acts 10.11. He saw Jesus, or he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheep being laid down to earth by its four corners. Okay, that's Peter, and this is a an account of when he received the word from God as far as the Gentiles uh, being accepted into the kingdom, along with the Jewish believers. Because right, if you remember the story, the sheep was let down from heaven and there are animals, and the Spirit of God says, Arise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, No, I've never eaten anything unclean. And, and they said, Well, what I make clean is clean. And it was through that that the revelation came to Peter that it was okay for him to go to the house of Cornelius. And so he went to the house of Cornelius and he started preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and they were baptized and the Holy Spirit began to speak in tongues. So then he took them out and baptized them. So that was the beginnings of the Gentiles coming into the church. But you see, it started with, and, I, and he saw heaven opened and a, sheet, and, and, and a sheet descending from there. You see, so the open heaven in that case had to do with revelation, had to do with wisdom, had to do with even, I mean, you could even say it had to do with the way that they were going to build the church, the doctrines they were going to have in the church, the arguments that were going to come up after this, but that was settling those kind of things. For Peter, that had settled, in a sense, what he was about to do at the house of Cornelius, that these men were going to come and then he was going to go there. And what we're actually reading is his recounting why he was there. But it was that it set where he was and what he was doing at that moment. It had given guidance, it had given wisdom, it had given understanding, it had changed his mind, his perspective, his outlook, everything that he thought was the way things were going to be, God changed it through that, through that open heaven experience. Yeah. Well, more, well it took him a little while to get it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say he got it the first time or the second time. Uh, Peter tend to argue a little bit, I guess. So. <laughs> it seems like Peter's got a thing about three. Three. Hmm. Three times. Three times for everything. Three times. So you got the third time. I got it. All right, good. But that's the, the nature of that. Okay, Revelation 19.11 be the last place we go. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. All right. So again, you got John, the the apostle, and heaven opened, and he, everything that he saw there. What's the first thing he saw? Who who's he see there? Jesus. Faithful and true, right? Yeah. So, so there's something. There, there's there's. I want to bring. 
for us as New Testament believers, I want to bring somewhat of a, a common denominator to these experiences because there's a couple things that we can learn from them. One is that this is all about revelation to me. This is all about revelation. This is all about seeing things we haven't seen, hearing things we haven't heard, understanding things we haven't understood. It's about direction. It's about God speaking into our lives. It's about God bringing whatever you want to say, understanding, comfort, direction, supernatural experience, all those things. Because that's what they're seeing. They're seeing angels. They're seeing the supernatural. They're seeing things that are normally invisible. They're seeing as visible. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of Jesus, the manifestation of the voice of the Father, the audible voice of God. That is quite a manifestation. The manifestation of the Spirit in bodily form as of a dove is quite a manifestation. Seeing through dreams, through visions, all of these things. I mean, that's all a part of the open heaven. Now, I could say, and I wouldn't be very far off at all saying that we've experienced this here. That over the time that we've been here as a church, we've experienced seasons of a very open heaven where people are having dreams and visions that, that I'll be getting dream interpretation requests, you know, two, three a day from people that are having vivid dreams almost every night. People that have visions where they're seeing things they've never seen before, experiencing things they've never experienced before. People that uh, tell stories about running into people that they later understood to be angels, having conversations with them. Talking to somebody, then they disappear while they're talking to them. You see, these kinds of manifestations, these kinds of experiences are evidence of an open heaven where God is manifesting Himself, where God is showing Himself, where the supernatural becomes very natural and very commonplace. You think about the prophetic and the pouring out of the prophetic anointing. You think about visions and, and, and what visions are. We see through those verses. How many of those verses had something to do with visions? Lots of them. We have people that move in vision every day here. Every week moving in visions. And so we've seen these types of manifestations before. As you go back to what Jesus was talking to Nathaniel about, he said to Nathaniel, he's like, well, you're going to see angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. In other words, on Him. See, Jesus... Jesus is the way to God. He's the door. He's that, that, that space, that, 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 that area of joining and, and the, the very literal uniting of that which is divine and that which is human. If you think about who He is, you think about His makeup, you think about His nature, He is the divine human one. He is that spot in all of the universe where both those things exist together. He's the door. He's the window. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. I and the Father are one. 
And so there's a, there's a manifestation with Jesus that as we understand Him for who He is, He becomes that open door. He is literally that open door. Is Jesus. And so He is the place. He is the place where divine encounters occur for us. He's it. He's that spot. The spot where those divine encounters are going to occur. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so that mediator, I just had a conversation with my intern today, what does a mediator do? What do you think of when you think of mediation? What do you think of what does what's the function of a mediator? He's the go-between. In other words, you've got two people. They're having their differences. So, what does a mediator do? He listens. Who does he listen to? Okay, he listens to one. He listens to the other. And his job, as far as I understand it, is to find something common between the two of them and bring them to a, an agreement based on the common ground that he's hearing from each of them. All right? That's my understanding of mediation. He's not trying to convince one that the other one's right. He's not trying to convince the one that the other one's right or wrong. They're not trying to convince anybody. But what he's trying to do is trying to say, here, you have this perspective, you have this point of view, you have this way of looking at things, you have this person over here that has this to say, and then over here you've got this perspective, this point of view, this way of looking at things, this thing that this person is going to say, and then he brings those two things together so that he can create an understanding. That's what a mediator does. So Jesus is mediator between us and the Father. We are who we are. He is who He is. But He's both. In other words, He has heard us. And He's heard the Father. He's been with us. He's been with the Father. He understands us. He understands the Father. We have something in common with Him. The Father has something in common with Him. And so we have something in common with the Father through Him. So that's how the heaven is open for us. It's through Him. At least that's one way, one solid, concrete way that the heaven is open, that heaven is open, is through Jesus. Because by His very nature, He opens heaven for us. Because if you see Him, who do you see? You see the Father. He and the Father are one. So, by His nature, He opens heaven. And there He is. There we are. So He is the open door between heaven and earth. He shows us also a willingness of God for us to encounter Him. Jesus proves that willingness. That if there's any doubt in your heart or any doubt in your mind 
that God doesn't want you to encounter Him, that you're not worthy to encounter Him, but whatever it is that goes on in our brains about encountering God, about seeing the manifestation of God and, 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 and really enjoying, engaging the manifestation of God in your life, if there's any doubt, Jesus is the answer to that. By His nature, He proves that God is very interested, very interested in you encountering Him. That's just by His nature. He proves that. Because He was sent for that express purpose to reconcile us to the Father. And by that express purpose and through His very nature as God and man, He answers the question that's in our life, does God want me to encounter Him? The answer is yes. He's done everything necessary for you to encounter Him. Yes. The only one holding you back from a greater encounter with the Father, holding you back from an open heaven, holding you back from the supernatural, holding you back from really the manifestation of God through your life, the only one holding you back is you. It isn't God. He is not holding you back. He isn't hiding. You aren't playing hide-and-go-seek with Him. He isn't running away from you. He isn't just throwing different obstacles in your way you know, and, and making you find Him somewhere. He hasn't made it hard. You make it hard. I make it hard. We create situations in our minds. We create situations in our spiritual life that makes it hard. But that's not His will and that's not His intent. That's not what He's looking for. He wants to manifest. He wants to allow you to see Him and, and for you to encounter Him and encounter what it is to be with Him in that supernatural realm. I mean, think about Jacob. Was Jacob particularly holy in your mind? What had he just done? He just lied to his father. He had stolen the birthright from his brother he had run away in fear of his life and was run into a place he didn't know anything about. That doesn't sound particularly holy to me. And yet in the midst of his condition, whatever you want to call that condition, guilt, whatever was going on with him, in the midst of that, God appeared to him in a dream. The heaven was open in the dream and he saw angels ascending and descending. He's in the house of God. In that state... And you can talk to me all you want about the Old Testament. You can talk to me all you want about the, the whatever it is you want to talk about with that. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, that's where Jacob was and God was still interested in manifesting Himself to him. Still interested in showing Himself. Still interested in giving Him a supernatural experience. Still interested in Him seeing Him for who He was. Still interested. Even in that kind of condition, in that kind of state, with that kind of attitude, and that kind of anguish going on in His own mind, He laid His head on a rock that night to go to sleep and God showed Himself to Him. Even Him. Even the usurper. Even the liar. Even the thief, Jacob. Fresh off a of thieving. Fresh off a of lion. Still, I'm interested in showing myself to you. I want you to see me for who I am. And that's God's interest in his life. 
And so Jesus becomes an invitation. He becomes an invitation to anybody that's bound to this realm. And, and you might want to think about that for a second. Are you bound to this realm? And again, not by God, but are you bound to this realm? Because there's an invitation that's gone out. There's an invitation that Jesus has, has laid out into your life. He's the invitation. He's the invitation to get free from this realm. To get free from being bound to whatever this is. This earthly existence. He's the invitation that says, like, like Paul talks about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Really? I mean, that sounds really good to me. To be seated with Christ in heavenly places, as he said in Ephesians. Sounds really good to find myself in, in that supernatural reality, in that eternal reality that is so real and so right now. If I could just get unbound, if I could just get free from being tethered to this existence. And I'm not saying everything on the earth is bad or anything. I'm not saying that life is bad and we've got to escape somewhere or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's a reality all around us. I mean, it's all around us. He's all around us. There's angels all around us. You know, the God is all around us. The Spirit is all around us. And when you don't see it long enough, you begin to ignore it. And you begin to forget about it. And you begin to get consumed about things that consume us every day. We're going to get consumed about what people think or what people are saying or get consumed about making some extra money or get consumed about a bill that's coming or get consumed about whatever we get consumed about. Interpersonal relationships. Oh, I think she hates me. Oh, she likes me. Oh, I wonder if he likes me or whatever. We get consumed by these things and we forget that we're part of something that's so much bigger and so much greater and so much grander than that. But if you don't see it, you forget about it. You ever find a piece of clothing that you forgot you had? Yes. I mean, I did. I, I mean, I find stuff every now and then. I'm like, man, that's really nice. <laughs> I totally forget about it because I don't have it out. You know, I'm not wearing it. It's stuck in the back of a drawer somewhere, in the back of the closet somewhere, and I forgot I even had it. But then when I find it, man, that's awesome. That looks good. Yeah, I'm going to wear that. And, and sometimes I really think that the supernatural, I think that, that supernatural open heaven manifestation of God is kind of like that. If you don't see it, you don't experience it, you don't live in it enough, it's so easy to forget about it and just get stuck wearing the same stuff all the time. Doing the same things over and over again. Living in this kind of mundane existence that overcomes us. That we allow to overcome us. Again, God's ready. He is ready and there's an open invitation for you to get loosed from this realm. To get free from the being bound to this realm. You know, I, I always think about it's like, 
You know, how much more God wants to show us. How much more God wants to reveal to us. How much more God wants to, how, how much deeper He wants to take us into. His reality, His life, His love, all that He cares about. I mean, to say we know God, and, and really, I want you to think about this for a second. To say you know God, but you really don't know what He cares about, that's kind of messed up, isn't it? If you, if you say you love somebody and you know somebody, all right, you should know what's important to them. You should have an idea about what they like. You should have an idea about who they are. Because we can claim relationship with God all we want. We can claim friendship with God all we want. We can claim friendship with Jesus. We can claim all kinds of things. But the reality of that is we need to have some kind of an understanding of what He likes. Some kind of an understanding of what's important to Him. Not just somebody telling us or some morality taking the place of actually knowing what God loves and what God likes. And I can give you examples from the Bible. There's things in there that, that if, you, if you think you know what God likes and you read those things, they make no sense. What God thinks is important. What God is concerned about. What God's not concerned about. The things that God cares about. Things He doesn't care about. That you see in the Scriptures. You see it. But if you've got your mind made up because somebody told you something when you were little or whatever it is, you might miss out on putting yourself in a position to really begin to understand what God loves. What God cares about. What His heart is. Not the rules, not the regulations. The real heart of God. And see, that's the advantage of that open heaven. There it is. There it is. There's that opportunity. There's that opportunity to be in His presence. There's that opportunity to, to, to find yourself in that manifestation of the Spirit in your life. There's that opportunity to find yourself in a vision. To find yourself in a vivid dream as you're sleeping. But God's showing Himself to you. Something that you didn't know. An experience you've never had. And Jesus is the key to that. He is the key. He is that intersection, as I said before, of the human and the divine. And we don't have to look any further than Him for the open heaven. But we need to adhere ourselves to Him. We need to join ourselves to Him. You know, when you were little, you might have prayed a prayer, asked Jesus into your heart. Good. Let that be real then. Let Him be in your heart. Let Him consume you. Let Him fill you. Because as you do that, you intersect with the divine. Human, divine, they come to that crossroads right there where He's in you and He's manifesting in and through your life. That's that crossroads. That's that intersection between the divine and the human. That's where God wants us to be. You think about the Garden of Eden. I mean, was God way out there somewhere? Or was He walking through the garden? <coughs> He's walking through the garden. 
There's an intersection between human and divine. See, that's how we were created. We were created to live at that intersection. We were created not to just live in this human realm, and that's it. And we weren't created just to live in some divine realm and be of no use and no good here either. But we were created to live in the intersection of those two things, and those two things being just as real as the other. The manifestation of God is just as real as my car. Right? The, the, the manifestation of the Spirit is just as real as my house. Angels ascending and descending are just as real as my dog. See, that's the intersection where we're living in heaven and earth. The supernatural. The natural. Come together. And they're going to come together in Jesus who supposedly lives in us, doesn't He? Supposedly? Then they're supposed to be coming together in us. Alright, through Him. And, and the big point I'm trying to make tonight is that you got people, see, you know, you can search out the open heaven, you can seek it out and all the rest of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> all I can say to you is you need to be seeking out Jesus. You need to be seeking out the reality of Him living in you right now. Seeking out the reality of Him in your life and consuming your life. Because that's the real intersection between the divine and the human is Him. And when you begin to recognize that, and when you begin to see that, your eyes begin to be opened to other things too. My eyes are going to be opened to Jesus in me. That reality of Jesus in me. God opened my eyes to that. And as He opens your eyes to that, He's going to open your eyes to a bunch of things, I think. Begin to open your eyes to angels and demons. And begin to open your eyes to the supernatural world that's all around you. Begin to open your eyes to things that are going on. Not the petty human reasons why, but the divine spiritual reasons why. Or demonic spiritual reasons why certain things are going on around you. And you have a supernatural wisdom and power and authority in that reality to deal with it. You deal with something in the spiritual realm, things change in the physical realm. I believe that. I've seen it. I've seen that happen. I've seen situations, impossible situations, people, impossible things turn around when things are dealt with in the spiritual realm. But we've got to know there's a spiritual realm to start with, don't we? We've got to have some way to interact with that spiritual realm if we're going to do that. If we're going to have any effect whatsoever. We've got to have the intersection. We need to find that spot and live in it. Because that's where we're going to have influence. That's where it's going to have, that spiritual realm is going to have influence over us, but we're going to have influence too. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Who said that? Jesus. Well, Jesus is the intersection between those two things. Right? Right. You see Him doing miracles, right? Yeah. He's the intersection between the natural and the supernatural. What's the answer to the sickness according to Jesus? 
Might have to cast out a demon. Might have to just proclaim a healing. Whatever it's going to be. But he sees what the problem is. Why? Because he's the intersection between those two things. He fixes it and the person's healed. Supernatural. Natural. There's a manifestation of the natural of a supernatural reality. How somebody walk on water? I don't know. Jesus knows. He's the intersection between the divine and the human, the supernatural and the natural. Although I've read stories about a missionary in India walking on water every day, walking across the river. One side to the next. How does he do that? I don't know. He's got a supernatural intersection in him through Jesus Christ where he's able to do that. Raising people from the dead. It's when the supernatural and the natural cross. All those things. All those miracles. The weather changing. The, the, the sea becoming calm at a word. The thing about it is, Jesus said, you've seen the miracles I've done, you'll do even greater. When we can talk about Jesus as, as you know, well, he, he was the intersection, all that. He's going to do it. Well, how can he possibly proclaim that I've seen the, you've seen the miracles I've done, you're going to do even greater? How can he possibly proclaim that? Well, because he had a reasonable expectation that you and I were going to be consumed by him. And we live in that same intersection of the natural and the supernatural, the divine and the human. He provided everything that's necessary for it. He, he did everything that had to take place in order to make it happen. So why not? Why not? Why not put ourselves in that position? Why not ask Him? Why not allow Him? Why not stop holding ourselves back? Why not? We're afraid we're going to get disappointed? You're already disappointed. Alright? We're already disappointed. We ain't got nothing to lose. There ain't nothing more disappointing to me than a, than a boring, stale Christian life. That's really disappointing. That's super disappointing. Whether we want to admit that or not, we're going to talk about it, we're not going to talk about it. That's a disappointing way to live. We've got the power of God dwelling in us and we're just living a boring life not really doing much for the kingdom, that's disappointing. So God calls us. We need to elevate that. What have we got to lose? Nothing. Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed. You are disappointed. Stop. Take a shot. Take a shot and let's see what happens. To me, the open heaven is a call and a reminder to us that something great happens when God and man intersect. We have that in Jesus. And something great is waiting to happen through each one of us. And I want to encourage you to that end. Every now and then, we need to get encouraged out of being dull. You know how many times Jesus, I don't know off the top of my head how many times he said this, but are you so dull talking to the disciples? Disciples believed in him. 
Are you so dull? Yeah, we are sometimes. And sometimes we need to get shaken out of being dull in order to put ourselves in a position where we're going to really recognize who we are, we're going to recognize who God is, and we're going to recognize what He wants to do in and through our lives. If we'll just allow it. Anybody have any questions or comments? When we don't, when we don't do evangelism, yeah. 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 This is what it made me think of. It's a cool outlet. It is. Yeah, evangelism affords that opportunity when we go out and we speak to people. For we have an expectation that we're going to move, uh, that God's going to speak a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom over somebody. We're going to be able to, to speak into their life and he comes through, he does, and it puts us into that position where we're at that intersection. At least for a half hour. And we're doing it. And even that half hour reminder once a week is at least a reminder. Anybody else? Comment or question? Alrighty, let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just caring to have us in your presence. That you created us to dwell there with you here with you. And so God, I pray that we would put ourselves in, in a position where we're no longer hindering that in our lives. I pray that the excuses would fall by the wayside, that the, the faults, whatever it is, the lies that we so easily believe would be cast down. And I just pray God that we would find ourselves in Jesus, in Jesus in us that we would find ourselves at that intersection between the divine and the human, the supernatural and the natural, where heaven is opened and revelation comes, direction comes, the power and manifestation of the Spirit, they come. So God, we place ourselves into, <coughs> into your hands, and we say, God, uh, we want more of you in our life. And I pray that we wouldn't accept just being dull. And we wouldn't accept just being disappointed. We wouldn't accept just, just making our way through the, the motions. But that, God, we would allow you to manifest and have your way in and through our lives. Because Jesus, we want to know what you care about. We want to know what you love. We want to know what is important to you. And that's only going to come through spending time with you. And so God, fill us. Fill our hearts. Fill our lives. I pray that you consume us. That we might know you more. And that we might find ourselves at that open heaven, God.
We give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's go by saying amen. 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 All right. Thanks for